Well, the old comedian, Groucho Marx, said, I intend to live forever or die trying. To live forever. Have you thought about the reality of that? Personally, I'm not sure I would want to live forever, though, unless I could be guaranteed a couple of things. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not looking forward to dying anytime soon. I I actually like living. But there are some things about living forever that could really be troublesome if my forever was to simply be an eternal continuation of my life as is. If I'm going to live forever... I want to know that my character will be changed for the better when I step into this forever state. And second, I would want to know that the forever reality that I live in will be free from the evil and the suffering that's part of this life. I think it would be more than an unpleasant existence to live forever as a self-consumed, frustrated, broken, sinful human being and to be trapped in a world filled with perpetual suffering and evil with other self-consumed, frustrated, broken, sinful human beings. I mean, call me crazy, but that doesn't sound like the kind of eternity that I want to be part of. I have some really good news for us, though. God offers us eternal life with two important guarantees. First, we will be transformed formed and given a character like that of Jesus Christ. And second, suffering and evil will be eliminated, making it possible for us to fully enjoy life as God intended for us. To know that I'm not going to be like this forever is a tremendous thing to look forward to. And to know that the suffering and the evil and all of the other mess that fills this world will one day be eradicated is a tremendous thing to look forward to. These things are part of the Christian's hope. We're continuing our study through the letter of 1 John today, picking up in verse 29 of chapter 2, and we'll be making our way through 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. In this section of the letter, John says that the person who knows God, who is a believer, who has been born again, who is a Christian is a child of God. And just like we inherit the characteristics of our earthly parents, God's children inherit his characteristics. God is righteous. His children will also have that as a characteristic. Uh, That's not to say that we are immediately transformed into sinless, righteous beings. But we'll have within us, at the deepest level, a new desire to be like our Father in heaven to seek righteousness in our life, to live in a way that's pleasing to him. If we're not taking after our father, it's questionable, John says, that we are really his children at all. God's children have his mark on their lives. This is evidence that the new life of Christ is in us and growing. So flip over to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 29. He writes, If you know that he, God, is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Have you noticed how people from the same family have common physical and behavioral traits? I mean, there are recognizable physical qualities, for example. You might see certain features of a 
mother's appearance and her daughter. Maybe their noses are similar or their lips or their eyes or dimples. A son's body type may look similar to his father's. Maybe they're tall, maybe they're short, maybe they have kind of a long middle section and short legs or long legs and a short middle section. I mean, there's all kinds of varieties. Behavioral traits can also be shared. A daughter may have the same walk as her father. A son has the same smile as his mother. A daughter laughs like her mom. A son is talkative like his dad. People from the same family will often have similar outlooks about life sharing opinions and political points of view and that sort of thing. There are many people who have sworn to themselves as they were growing up that they would never be like their parents. And then when they become parents themselves, they're horrified to discover that they're acting just like their parents. It's interesting how even people who don't share common genetics can end up looking and acting like one another. A husband and a wife will pick up behaviors from one another and even begin looking like each other over time. We can start mimicking each other's behaviors without even realizing it. Well, in a similar way that we exhibit the characteristics of our earthly parents in how we look and act, so those who are born of God will exhibit his characteristics in how they live and act. According to John, righteousness is an indistinguishable, unmistakable, hereditary trait. I mean, it's an unmistakable, hereditary trait of our Heavenly Father. It will be present in His children. Righteousness, he says, is part of God's nature. It's one of His distinguishing characteristics. Those who are His children are going to exhibit this same characteristics. They're going to seek to do what's right to exhibit this same attitude toward doing the right thing. They will have a disposition toward righteousness. Those of you who are believers, think back to those first weeks after Christ came into your life. Do you remember people noticing that there was something different about you? Do you remember how your heart had changed towards so many things that you used to think were okay, but you... Don't, didn't find any pleasure in them anymore. Do you remember how you began having a different attitude about life and people? Something had happened to you inside that you couldn't really explain, but it was real enough that other people around you could see it, sometimes even more than you could. Righteous conduct is not the condition for becoming a child of God, but it is a consequence of becoming a child of God, and it is evidence of becoming a child of God. John is going to elaborate further on this train of thought when we get down to verse 4 of chapter 3, but he's going to pause here and linger for a moment in the first three verses of chapter 3 on this idea that we have here where he says, born of God, and he begins marveling at that that we are now God's children. So in verse 1, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. 
the Greek words translated here as see what great or behold what manner, as it says in the old King James Version, it was an expression of astonishment in ancient times, which literally translated is of what country. In other words, this thing that God has done for us is so amazing, so unusual, so unlike anything ever seen before, one might ask, from what country did this come from? Or, to use something maybe a bit more modern, would be, from what planet did this come from? Or, this is out of this world. John is referring to us being children of God. This same expression, it was used by the disciples when they found themselves in the middle of that furious storm on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus commanded the wind and the waves to be still, and immediately the storm became calm. And then in dumbstruck astonishment, the disciples, they looked at each other and they asked one another, what kind of person is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? The power that Jesus displayed over the weather was in a completely different category from anything they had ever encountered before. The same is true about God's love for us in making us his children. It is in a completely different category from anything we have encountered before. John is blown away at the thought that we are called children of God. And not only that we are called children of God, but we really are children of God. See, it's not just a nice expression. It's not just words. It's a true thing that we are children of God. The love for us expressed by God in making us his children is mind-blowing. It's beyond comprehension. It is out of this world. It's unfortunate, though, that the profoundness of this is lost a little bit uh, because of modern society, because of this common practice of referring to all human beings as children of God. That's not what's being talked about here. In the sense that John is talking in this passage, not every human being is a child of God. It's not just an expression to refer to all of us. Only those who have been born again by the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus as the Christ are now children of God. They have been adopted into God's family, being made brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. They are literally children of God. What John is talking about here is amazing. It, it should blow our circus to consider that God loves us so much that he became one of us, let us kill him to rescue us from sin and death, and then God took it even further. He made us his children. John 1.10, John writes, He, Jesus Christ, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. He says, what great love the Father has lavished on us. He has made us his children. Think about that, Christian. Let the amazingness of that wash over you. You were once an enemy of God, lost and separated from him, excluded from all of God's good promises without hope or a future, far away and alone. 
But now you have been swept up into the loving arms of your heavenly Father, brought near to his heart, adopted into his family as a son or a daughter, precious to him, and a share in all of his goodness and blessing given to his son, Jesus Christ. You are a son of the maker and king of the universe. You are a daughter of the maker and king of the universe. He says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The watching world, it may not recognize us as the children of God. They may not see us as any different. We may look like garden variety human beings to them. But John says that shouldn't come as any surprise to us because they didn't recognize Jesus either. They didn't see him for who he really was either. Don't let the world's failure to see you as God's child bother you or get you down. God knows who you are, and that's what matters. You are his child. He knows it. He declared it. He's the one who made it so. He's the one who created that as a true reality. In John 15, 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. You know, as a side note here, uh, Christian, if you're not feeling some tension with the popular culture that we're living in, then we are probably not living as close to Jesus as we ought to. See, the way Jesus lived and the things that Jesus taught, they were not popular. They never have been. When he was passing out free meals to people and doing miracles, the crowds gathered around him. But when he talked about the cost involved in walking the same narrow path that he was on, people left him and they found something else to do. Verse 2 of 1 John 3. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The Apostle John himself confesses here that he doesn't know all of the details of what we will ultimately be like, but we know that when Jesus appears, we will be like him. 1 Corinthians 15, 47, Paul wrote this. He said, the first man was of the dust of the earth, talking about Adam. The second man, talking about Jesus, is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Philippians 3.20 But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly body, so that they will be like his glorious body. Romans 8.29, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Christian, you're going to be like Jesus Christ one day, 
those little bits of him that you see peeking out of you once in a while are going to be the norm rather than the exception. That's going to be your obvious and dominant nature. And all of those remnants of the old person that keeps showing up more often than you would like are going to be completely wiped away. What an incredible thing for us to look forward to, to be like Jesus Christ. That makes life forever, living forever, something to look forward to. Without it, living forever could be punishment instead of reward. But with this as our hope, our hearts can be filled with anticipation and excitement. 2 Corinthians 3.8, it says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're becoming more like Jesus all of the time. And one day, bam, the whole glorious enchilada that is you will be revealed. And everyone will give glory and praise to God for the work that he's done in you. Verse 3, all who have this hope in him, Jesus, purify themselves just as he is pure. Jesus is pure, holy, undefiled, spotless. We're going to be like him, which means we're also going to be pure. Are looking forward to that day when we will be like him, are hoping for that day, are living for that day, has a purifying effect upon us. These thoughts, they draw us toward Christ and into a closer walk with him. Our heart's desire is to be more like Jesus, to put away all that pulls us away from him and to live as citizens of his new kingdom. Amen? Amen. And this is what John is talking about. Well, John, now he, he comes back to that train of thought that he began in verse 29 of chapter 2 in verse 4 he says here everyone who sins breaks the law in fact sin is lawlessness but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him there is no sin no one who lives in him keeps on sinning no one who continues to sin has ever seen has either seen him or known him John is making the same point again that he made up in verse 29 of chapter 2, that those who truly know God will have his nature. There's no sin in God. There's no sin in Jesus Christ. In fact, he says Jesus came to take away our sin. For him to have sin would contradict his whole mission. Those who know Jesus Christ are going to have an attitude like his toward sin. They no longer live the same way that they did before. Now that they've come into this relationship with Jesus Christ, he says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Now, just to keep you from panicking here for a moment, this doesn't mean that we're going to be suddenly sinless, and you're saying, oh, I'm not sinless yet. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not saying that we will no longer struggle with this desire for sin in this life. It means that we are going to have this fundamental change of attitude about sin in our life. We will not continue to live our life the same way we did before. Christ in us prevents us from doing so. His growing nature in us compels us to live differently, to pursue a life of righteousness. There is a new desire that's put inside of us to want to be like him. And we seek after that. We live after that. 
verse 7, he says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. John is again confronting the claims of the false teachers who were saying that the secret knowledge that they had claimed to have acquired That has made them righteous rather than them living a righteous life here. John says that's crazy talk. The person who is righteous, he says, is the person who does what's right, who lives a righteous life. In fact, rather than these false teachers being righteous and knowing God, they're manifesting the character traits of the devil, Those who pursue a life of sin are children of the devil, he says, rather than children of God. The way we live our life, it identifies whose child we are, what family we are a member of, either God or the devil. It's it's funny because we tend to want to hold up spiritual giftedness and talents and knowledge and those sorts of things as evidence of a person's closeness to God. But the real measure of a person's relationship with God is how they live their life. No one, verse 9, who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Again, John is not saying that a child of God has reached a sinless state. That would contradict what John has written earlier in his letter. Remember in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And then he continues in verse 1 of chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So John is not saying that a child of God has reached a sinless state in this life. But, as said before, a fundamental change takes place in our life when the new life of Jesus Christ is put in us, and it begins to grow and transform us inside. Uh, a per, my personal example uh, to maybe help illustrate this is when I came to faith in Jesus Christ and God's seed, as John says in verse 9, was put in me, when the life of Jesus Christ began to grow in me, when the Holy Spirit began to do his work of transformation in me, well, that ruined me in a sense. I was no longer able to live my life the same way that I had been living it up to that point. And it was not something that I had to muster up from my own strength. 
It was a supernatural thing that was taking place in me. I had been given this new heart, a new attitude, a new motivation, a new passion, a new set of eyes, a new understanding, a new point of view. It was literally a new life. The things that I I had been doing, they no longer had the same kind of appeal. Now, that doesn't mean that I still couldn't find pleasure in sinful behavior. I, I can't even to this day. There are sinful things that still have a draw on me. But there is now a new life in me that fights against all of that. There was no conflict before. I did what I wanted to do, and the only thing that I might have experienced was a little guilt and fear about getting caught. But but now there's this new nature in me pulling and pushing me to live a way that's pleasing to God. I've shared before that I used to resent the idea of God trying to tell me how to live my life. I didn't like that idea, but, but that's no longer the case. I love God's authority over me now. He's my father. I'm his child. I have this desire to please him I, because I know how much he loves me, and I love him back. Paul, he teaches the same thing as John does, if you flip over to Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Paul writes this, he says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Well, in closing this this morning, I want to bring our thoughts back to this incredible hope that we have that we will one day be like Jesus Christ. What you are now is not what you will always be, Christian. You are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ as you embrace him, you trust him, you walk with him. Let the hope that you have in Christ lift your heart. You have a future to look forward to that is beyond anything that you or I can imagine. What we will be has not yet been fully revealed to us, but we know that when he appears, we are going to be like him. Are you a child of God? I don't mean in uh, a general sort of way that's used as an expression in our culture, but in this profoundly real way that we've been talking about today. Have you been born again by the Spirit of God? Have you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Do you have this new life in you? We're See, we're born into this life separated from God because of our sin. And as we follow our own way rather than God's way, we just get further and further from him. But God loves us so much that he's made everything possible for us to be reconciled to him, to have our sin forgiven, to be given a new life, and to become his child. Jesus, God the Son, he died as a sacrifice for our sin, and he was raised back to life on the third day to give us eternal life. Acknowledge your sin to God. Ask him to forgive you. Receive this new life that he has for you. Follow Jesus Christ walking in this new relationship with God as his child.
Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer as we close. Those of you who have never received Christ as Savior, we begin with you. If you want to do that today, just say this simple prayer to begin this new life. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and make me a child of God. I'm going to follow you from this day forward. Father, I pray for all of us today. I pray that you would renew the hope of your people today as we look forward to what we have in Christ, that one day we're going to be like Jesus as you continue to transform us even now. We pray that you would continue to grow the nature of Jesus in us. We would become more and more like him with each passing day and that our desire for that would grow every day, that we would want that over all of the things that this world has to offer, that we would know and become like Jesus. Make these things so in us, in Jesus' name. Amen.